When you need to spruce up the yard, you need to reach out to Steel. SteelUSA.com, SteelDealers.com. You spell it S-T-I-H-L. Uh, I love their products. Been telling you about their products for years. They're great, man. I got a garage full of them. And they can handle any job, large or small. The professionals use them. That's all you need to know. I told you recently I was out running. I forget what city I was in. And I came across some guys that were taking down limbs and, and you know blowing the limbs to the side and, and using multiple tools. And they were all steel product. S-T-I-H-L. There's more than 10,000 dealers around the country. Just go online to Steel USA, and you're going to be going through page after page of trimmers, blowers, lawnmowers, chainsaws, and uh, you know, you're going to buy yourself some nice birthday and Christmas presents, and you're going to have the best-looking yard in the neighborhood. Steel Products, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. Okay, so I, I tell you about Boyer's Coffee uh, on a regular basis because I love Boyer's Coffee. I start my day with Boyer's Coffee. When I'm at the ballpark, I have Boyer's Coffee. Just had one this afternoon as we uh, taped this uh, podcast. And then I got home and I realized I was starting to run low. So I got online and I ordered with little more than several clicks coffee to be delivered. I like the K-Cups. Delivered to my home and they'll be here within 48 hours. It's terrific. I went to my old standby, Rocky Mountain Thunder. I also ordered a couple of other specialty brands. Speaking of specialty brands, how about chocolate mousse, coconut cream, European dark, that's what I just ordered, um, Maroon Peak, Mount Albert. They're doing a tribute with uh, a whole new line of uh, coffees and a tribute to the uh, 14ers in Colorado. They're located up at 55th in Washington. They have a new state-of-the-art roastery up there because they had that fire back in 2020 and they've been cranking they've been doing um, a marvelous job since 1965 and they have become experts at slowly roasting their beans in small matches that you need to do to have great success at high altitude they have a consistently outstanding coffee it's boyers coffee go to boyerscoffee.com and go shopping like i just did boyerscoffee.com this week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies newcomer and switch hitter Michael Tolia. What was it like when they told Tolia he was going to the big leagues? Warren Schaefer came on the, the bus, Mike. He said, hey, it's Tolia on the bus. And I still didn't think anything of it because it was a scramble to find the bus. So I thought he was just messing around seeing if I made it because, you know, I was just got called to AAA two weeks ago. And he goes, congratulations, kid. You're headed to the big leagues and just was overcome with emotion and had the shakes for the next 30 minutes. You know, couldn't believe it. Also, Drew is talking college football and the NFL. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, welcome in, everybody, to show number 166. Taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, shortly after the Rockies won 8-4 to four this afternoon and uh, took 2-3 of three from the Milwaukee Brewers. You may take that proverbial fork and stick it in the brew crew, especially after Tuesday when the Rockies were down 6-1 to one in the eighth inning, had all of two hits against Brandon Woodruff, and then they got after Luis Perdomo and the rest of the bullpen mates in Milwaukee, ended up tying the game. First, a three-run home run by Jonathan Daz, who was just coming off the injured list. That made it 6-5, to five. and then with two outs, Randall Gritchick, hit a home run to tie it. Game goes to the 10th inning. 
The Rockies are down 7-6 when they come up in the bottom of the 10th. Daza doubles in a run to tie it. And then ultimately, Gritchick hits a three-run home run to walk it off. It's the first time in Rockies history. And you know the long history of home runs and big scores at Coors Field. Gritchick's the first guy to hit a game-tying home run in the eighth inning or later. And then a game-winning home run, ultimately. Pretty cool stuff. Rockies, for the first time this year, hit four homers in a game. And that may have been the death knoll on Milwaukee's chances at going to the postseason. They just have not been able to get any momentum. Heck, they were down today 8-2 to two in the sixth inning. And they, because they have a doubleheader tomorrow against the Giants, it's like they threw up the white flag. They threw a position player in a six-run game in the eighth. And you say, well, that, that that game's not over at Coors Field. The day before, the Rockies scored five. I just described it. And yet, down by six, I mean, it doesn't look good. I'll grant you that, but not impossible. And they threw a position player. It's like, okay, we're going to move on to tomorrow, save our pitching for the doubleheader against the Giants that they have back in Milwaukee. But that's a, a team that is not finishing strong. And they have a a great pitching staff up top with, Corbin, Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. They have an outstanding closer. I know Hader was traded. Devin Williams, though, is there. He's outstanding. And they look like a team that's going to be on the outside looking in. And they were in first place a little more than a month ago in the in, excuse me in the National League Central. And now the Cardinals look like they're going to win in a walk. Hey, I want to give a big shout-out to my man Marky. You hear his voice on this uh program all the time. He edits this program and he uh, puts the sound together and he does an amazing job. So I just wanted to give a shout out to my man, Marky. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Also to our friends at DNBR and Patrick Lyons and uh, his crew cranking out uh, Rocky's programming daily. And uh, I join them once a week. So make sure you download uh, the DNBR Rockies, uh, all their programming, but uh, the DNBR Rockies program with uh, Patrick Lyons on a daily basis, as I mentioned. All right, more on uh, on the Rockies in a moment, and specifically Michael Tolia. We're going to have him on the show today, and I think you're really going to like this man, and you're going to like this young guy um, in terms of what he can bring to the baseball diamond. We'll get to that uh, in a few moments, but it's kind of a, a week's worth of uh, thoughts, and I will begin in football i'm excited as all of you are with football starting up the nfl starts this weekend i was thrilled to watch college football last weekend i watched every snap of michigan in the big house kind of dismantling colorado state got to see a number of the you know plays in the colorado game at home against tcu but we were kind of on opposite that and then after the game i saw a, a good portion of the second half disappointing for CU clearly they're at home against a team you hope you can compete with in TCU different story for Jay Norvell who's you know changed over about 80 percent of that roster at least going to Michigan facing one of the best teams in college football you knew in all likelihood that was going to become lopsided I thought they competed well Um, I, I thought they showed signs uh, that they first first of all have a good quarterback in Clay Millen. Um, I, I think they're going to be just fine. I really do. 
Um, I, I didn't have grand, grand expectations playing Michigan. That's a different level, and especially in front of 110,000. Disappointed, though, with Colorado. It ends up in the second half, turning into a blowout, and it leads me to a couple of uh, additional thoughts on college football. We know it's changed with the NIL. We know it's changed with the transfer portal. Kids leave all the time. It's It was still exciting to watch the games. I didn't look at the various schools and think, well, this isn't college football anymore. This is just like minor league pro football. There, it, it still had the pageantry of college football. I was still moved by it, into it. So that is a positive. Let's face it, and I think you're all smart enough to realize this. In terms of winning a national championship, there's only 10 or 12 teams that their whole program is set up right now where they can realistically compete for a national title. And you know the names of the schools. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M is probably in that grouping. Ohio State, Michigan in the Big Ten. Clemson, you know, kind of an outlier over the ACC, Notre Dame, and then maybe Texas, maybe USC because of their tradition and their history, and Oklahoma. That's the group. That's the top tier. Ain't no one else going to win a national championship in the foreseeable future if you're not in that grouping. Then there's the next tier that includes you know, tradition-rich schools, programs that typically win nine, ten games a year. Penn State, Michigan State now, Miami, Utah's been really good. I know they lost in their opener. Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, and it goes it goes on from there. That that's that next level. Then the third level it, it, it is a large grouping. It's inclusive of some of the top schools in the group of five and then a whole mix of Power 5 schools. The misnomer, and and I'll take it local now and talk about CU and CSU. The misnomer is to think, especially if you're a a fan of the Buffs, that playing Colorado State, for instance, is just a lose-lose proposition. If you win, you're supposed to win, and if you lose, oh my goodness, you lost to an inferior school. Well, both teams have been down for a while. I do think Colorado State's going to be on the upswing. I'm not sure about Colorado, quite frankly. And if Colorado, and I, and I know it's a few years away, starts playing CSU again, that's a great thing. And it could be a great win for Colorado. For instance, this past weekend, Oregon State beat Boise State. That's a great win for Oregon State. Arizona went to San Diego State in their new football stadium, and they won there. That's a great win for Arizona, a program that's been down. So this thought that if a Power 5 school plays a group of 5 school, it's always a lose-lose proposition. It's not right. Forget this Power 5 thing and group of 5. There's so many schools in that next tier, that third tier, after I mentioned the first tier and then some of the next tier. Then there's, I don't know, 50, 60 schools in, in that third tier. Colorado's in there, Right. Stanford, Arizona, Arizona State, Boise State from the group of five. Uh, you know, Houston, uh, which used to be in the group of five, they're going to be moving up, you know, ultimately to the Big 12. 
you know, the, the central Floridas of the world, right? Colorado State, you know, hopes to be in that that third tier. They'd like to move up beyond there. But that's the biggest tier, that, that third tier. And it includes, as I said, group of five schools and a whole lot of the power five schools. Just because you're in a power five conference doesn't mean you can compete with Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, because you can't. You can't. But overall, my take from watching college football last week, thrilled to see it on again. Love college football. You've heard me say that for a number of years. And it looked right to me. It looked good. And I am happy that they're going to go to 12 uh, teams maybe as soon as 2024. That's a good thing because we love March Madness because they're Cinderella teams. So you could get a team that maybe gets in to that playoff grouping and upsets a blue blood. Don't know if you can pull off three of them to win a national title, but it's going to be great theater. And and it's going to make the postseason in college football that much more compelling. And you'll keep, you know, you'll still have the who gives a damn bowl games played for the teams that won six, seven games. And that's fine. And and the fans of those respective schools can enjoy an an extra game, a 13th game. Uh, But I'm I'm looking forward to that playoff thing when it comes down the pike. All right. That's my uh, my initial thought on uh, college football. A quick note uh, with the NFL starting up this week. uh, Kudos to the Broncos. Not a surprise that they got. Russell Wilson signed. You knew that was somewhat of a fate to complete when they made the trade for him. They're not trading him to rent him for one year. He's not coming to Denver uh, for one year. And I give Russell Wilson uh, appropriate credit in that his deal is front-loaded. It it gives the Broncos flexibility financially to you know add players to help supplement what they already have going forward. Because Russell Wilson, to his credit, is all about, you know, a number of things, but he's all about winning championships. And and to do that, he realized um, it was important to be creative in how the contract was structured. The other thing that comes to mind is how much of an outlier that crazy deal that Cleveland gave to Sean Watson guaranteeing him $230 million. Forget, well, you can't forget what's gone on with him off the field. How can you do that? And, and so the the Broncos deal with Russell Wilson, I mean that's you know there's a lot of it's guaranteed, but not 230 million. That contract's going to be an outlier. It, it really um, is going to look to be looked upon as a separate deal. All right, moving on um, from the uh, Broncos, I want to talk uh, really quickly about that 10-7 win for one more moment on uh, on Tuesday night because it brought Lodo Magic back. And I know this is a lost season. It's been a bad season. It's been a frustrating season. But it just shows you baseball and sports, even on a, on a given night with a team that's struggling, can be fun. There's nothing more fun than watching the Rockies pull off one of those miracle comebacks in Lodo. So I had a blast on Tuesday. And if you happen to catch it, I know a lot of you aren't following it nearly as closely. I understand that. Uh, but it was fun. And, uh, and to see the Rockies hit home runs. That's fun. First time all year, again, that they hit four in a game. One other baseball note, um, Aaron Judge, as we taped today, hit his 55th for the Yankees. And he's 19 ahead of Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies, 
who has 36. 55 minus 19 would be 36. There you go. That is one of the biggest separations between first and second in home run totals in a given season since the 20s when Babe Ruth was like out homering the whole league. That's crazy. And even having said that, Aaron Judge, for me, it's still open to significant debate whether he's the MVP of the American League because of Shohei Otani, who's two great players. He's a great offensive player, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I know the Angels are not very good. The Yankees haven't been very good in the second half. Let's not forget that either. Judge is having another worldly year. And it's and it's really cool because he bet on himself. He turned down more than $200 million in the offseason from the Yankees, bet on himself, and he's having a kick-ass year. I mean, a phenomenal year, an all-time year. And he's going to get paid. Not that he was hurting before that. But I don't know if he's the MVP. Ordinarily, he's the MVP if there wasn't a freak like Otani running around. Otani's two great players. He's an all-star position player, or DH, and he's an all-star pitcher. All right, enough on that. On to Michael Tolia. If you're following the Rockies on a regular basis and you want to get excited about the future, who's going to help turn this thing around? The Rockies are having a tough year, fourth year in a row. They're going to be out of the playoffs. They're going to finish in the cellar, it looks like, in the NL West. What can I get excited about? Well, I present you Michael Tolia, a big, strong dude, 6'5", 240 or so, hits from both sides of the plate. Isn't that sexy? A, a, a power-hitting switch hitter. And he hit one lefty on the road for his first career home run in Atlanta. And then he hit one righty today, like 20-something rows up on the concourse, or not quite to the concourse, but about 20 rows up and left, hit it right-handed. And he's fun to watch. Great hands at first. Takes good routes in the outfield. So it's unusual. He's a he's a first baseman that size. He can also go run out there and play a corner outfield spot. I'm excited about him. And I think as you get to know him in this interview, you're going to say, good guy. And um, you're going to like him as well. He's out of UCLA. And he's got a promising future. He's a former number one pick of the Rockies so get to know on our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week Rockies first baseman outfielder rookie Michael Tolia Oh, one and this ball is hammered to deep left take a good look you won't see this for long where will this one land two rows shy of the concourse second big league home run for Michael Tolia Got one from the left side. Now he's got one from the right side. One of the cool things about the big leagues is you run into players, especially if you go to a school like UCLA, you run into teammates not only in your own clubhouse but the other clubhouse. So um, how cool was it to uh, to get with Mr. Mitchell of Milwaukee? Really cool. Uh, the Bruins have been hot lately. You know, we've had uh, Garrett, you know, uh, Ryan Kreiler just got called up the other day for the Tigers. So, it's cool seeing all these names that we played with and grew up with uh, make it to the bigs. How often did you talk about it, or did you not talk about it at all when you were in Westwood? Oh, we talk about it every day. You know, that's that's one of the lights at the end of the tunnel is that we want to make it to the big leagues. And so to not remind yourself of that every day would have been a crime. When you were there, at what point in time did you think you had a chance to be drafted really high, as ultimately you were? I mean, I back in high school, I remember believing that. You know, a scout came in 
and said that he saw me in the third to fifth round range. And in my mind, I didn't say it to him. In my mind, I thought, no, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be a first rounder instead. And, you know, that was four years ahead of the actual 2019 draft. So I had a lot of time to refine my skills, you know, grow physically and mentally. And it all ended up working out. I'm glad you brought that up physically and mentally because there's no sport in my mind, at least team sport, that's tougher on you mentally than baseball. Who's helped you along the way and, and where and where do you feel you are in terms of dealing with the ebb and flow of swinging a bat in particular uh, in the game of baseball? The foundation definitely started at UCLA with Ken Revisa, you know, the father of the mental game. He um, he'd come see us, you know, once every couple of weeks and kind of laid out in front of us. And I remember not understanding it at first as a freshman. And I was thinking, who's this? old crazy guy coming in talking like holding people's backs and then acting like a monkey and then as i got older and played more i finally kind of understood what he was getting at and now i live my life and mental game in sports at least um by all of his principles you know that he gave us and that savage gave us and the other coaches in the minors do you, does doubt ever creep in during the during this path to the big leagues uh you know when you'd go through and i always tell kids this there's a one for 15 around the corner for every player even mike trout so how did you deal with it in the minor leagues doubt's always a factor in this game no matter how good you are um especially playing every day you know you blink and all of a sudden like you said you're one for 15 um so learning how to deal with that doubt not you're never going to get rid of it completely but learning to manage it um one of the things that my uh, roommate and i aaron shunk sort of coined was this the little man in the back of your head you know, the little man wants to say, you know, I don't want that fifth at bat. I don't, I don't like this matchup against this guy. He's always going to be talking to you, but it's your job to figure out how to manage it and how to overcome that and, you know, be the bigger man. What was the biggest challenge becoming a professional? I mean, you played big-time college baseball, obviously. We talked about it at UCLA. What was the biggest challenge as a, as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old playing professionally? Just you know just doing it every day that's the difference you know um at school if you have a bad series you got two practices to you know work on something to figure it out this you're just rolling into the next one day after day after day so it really takes a lot of growth to figure out how to handle that when you um got to ucla you already switched hitting what point in time did you were you doing that growing up for a long time i mean i remember switch hitting when i was eight years old wiffle ball started doing it seriously in, in high school every you know, every single time um but it's definitely one of my biggest assets well you know what were you always ambidextrous or was there just something like I, i'm gonna do it i'm gonna commit to this because if you're better from one side you know that feeling you don't want to give up and a bat from the dominant <laughs> well, side to work on the other side well yeah that, that was the difficult part growing up was i remember i wouldn't want to hit left-handed and because i you know felt like i would hit better right-handed and my dad would say, no, every fifth that bat, you're hitting left-handed no matter what, even if it was left on left, just so I would get the reps. And then we went down to every third at bat, and then I was doing it full time. But even now at this level, there's there's times when my right-handed swing feels awful, and I'm so glad to be hitting lefty that day, and then it'll, the next week it'll switch. You know, it, it, it really is crazy like that. Which side do you have more pop from? Which side are you a better hitter from in your mind? It's pretty even now pop-wise. It used to be right-handed, but now – you know, I've done it so much that my left hand is caught up. As a better hitter, yeah, I, I'm going to take some pride in myself and say that both are about equal. 
More with Michael Tolia, the Rockies, in a moment. But first, this for Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team, they're doing outstanding work. They've done outstanding work for the last couple of decades in our area and also down in Arizona. They loan you money and they help you purchase a new house. Maybe it's a second home. Maybe it's consolidating debt. Anything along those lines. They're the best in the business. That's why they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And uh, these times are a little more difficult. The interest rates have gone up. Things are a little cloudier. They can help you navigate this. And I'm sure, like many people, you have a number of questions. Pick up the phone. Give them a call. Anything on your mind when it comes to, uh, as I said, even credit card debt or the purchasing of a new home because you still want to purchase that new home even though interest rates have gone up. The number is 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. They're going to make sure that you get the guaranteed lowest rate. They're going to lock you in. They're going to handle your business exceptionally well. Sent a lot of people to them. I've used them on a number of occasions myself. They're terrific. 303-867-7000. Now back to more with Michael Tolia. So tell us uh, about your call-up, because everybody has a call-up, and I, and I know you've been asked this a lot. It was on the bus? Yes. Warren Schaefer? Warren Schaefer came on the, the bus, Mike. He said, hey, it's Tolia on the bus. And I still didn't think anything of it, because it was a scramble to find the bus. So I thought he was just messing around and seeing if I made it, because I, you know, I was just got called up to AAA two weeks ago. And he goes, congratulations, kid. You're headed to the big leagues, and just was overcome with emotion and had the shakes for the next 30 minutes you know couldn't believe it and you couldn't call mom and dad because you felt like it'd be a little awkward because you're on the bus yeah i wanted to have a a genuine reaction without the whole team hovering over my shoulders and so i had to wait 40 minutes on the bus so tell that story how'd that go i'm sitting there just praying that someone on twitter didn't get a hold of it and I thought that would have been such a bummer if my parents found out on social media before they could get it from me. But Schaefer gave me the reassurance, reassurance that it, it wasn't released yet. So I just sat there staring at a blank screen on my phone, just like waiting to get to the hotel, called him immediately. Well, tell the story also about how you ended up once you, you reached mom first, correct? Yeah. So I had to tell oh, that I'll, part of the story. Well, my parents weren't necessarily together at the time. My dad was off at the gym working out, and... My mom said he'd be back in two hours. And I thought, no, two hours is not going to, that's not going to cut it. So I told her, I said, well, can you meet up with him? And she started to get suspicious. So I had to take an alternative route and said, there's some potential bad news. You know, my agent just talked to me. And she, my mom being a warrior, thought, oh my goodness, I'll go to the gym right now. And once they got there, I said, hey, FaceTime him. Mom, sorry for making you worry. There's, it's not bad news at all. It's actually really good right. going to the big leagues. What, what did you shed tears? Did mom, dad shed tears? I mean, what, do you was, remember what the initial uh, kind of reaction was on on both ends of that FaceTime call? More joy than, than cheers. Like we we were all smiling ear to ear. Yeah. Nobody was really balling because it's just something that you know we were so excited to happen, and we felt that it was the time was right. So we were just we were happy. So. What were you most anticipating as this is running through your mind? Okay, I'm, I'm headed to the big leagues. This is my dream my whole life. This has been my goal my whole life. But then little things probably creep in. Yeah. So what, what were the things you were most anticipating about, hey, I'm going to be in a big league clubhouse, big league plane? What were they? 
<laughs> uh, I was more nervous to catch the throws across the infield than I was to do anything else. I was just, you know, something that you do every, routinely every single time. I thought, man, what if I drop a ball, you know, or what if I trip, you know, do my pregame sprints? Stuff like that was what was creeping in. And then once I actually stepped in the box, that's when I felt more grounded and uh, I've been here before. People can tell you all they want. It's still the same game. The pitcher's 60 feet, 6 inches away. You know, the diamond looks the same. Yeah, there's an extra deck. There's more people. But when you get out there, is it still not? Is it still difficult not to look around and kind of say, wait a second, this is the best league there is now? Oh, yeah, I still do that every every day so far. I've looked around and thought, man, this is, this is the best of the best right here. Yeah. So... Um, did you have uh, another moment, at least, when you got on a plane or in the clubhouse and you look around and, and said, boy, this is pretty cool? And I know you saw a nice yeah. clubhouse in spring training, obviously. Right. Yeah, the clubhouse, walking in from the bus after before the game, that's something that you never do in the minors. Um, and then the travel, the private jet is something that I'll never get used to. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, everybody says this is the biggest jump. Triple A to the big leagues. Pitching's better. The players are better. Even though guys in Triple A are are great at their craft. Yeah. Have you noticed that already? Even though it's only been a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some electric stuff. But so far in my short stint, I I really thought my jump from high to high A to Double A was the biggest adjustment so far. Um, like definitely Triple A to the big leagues is a close second. They're interchangeable in my opinion, but. I remember going from high A to double A. I thought, oh, man, like there's definitely a noticeable adjustment that I need to make. Yeah. Whereas here, I feel like what I was doing in triple A is going to work here and it's going to give me a chance to succeed. I always ask young players this. When you've been on the field now, with so, you know, you've played the Mets, you've played the Braves, there's some big names uh, around the sport. Has there been one guy who said, holy shit, that's so-and-so? Has there had, have you had that moment yet? No, no, that 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 was a couple of years ago. You know, I've I've been around enough guys and just workouts and off season that that stardom uh, shock factor has kind of died down. You know, you you get called up to play, not to be a fan. So you you want to just continue to go about your business. A couple questions. Todd Helton worked has worked with you uh, periodically. Um, where has he helped you the most? Um, just overall, I mean, he, he helped me both at the play and in and, and defense. Like, defense was he, – he loves playing first base, and he would, you know, talk to me about my footwork. He helped me clean up an extra step that, you know, that saves me a little bit of time that, you know, you honestly don't even have to think about at first. But it's just he's so uh, insistent on being the best and being as efficient as possible. Like, he would talk the way, like, Michael Jordan would talk. Like, you want to be as smooth and as efficient as, he, as, and efficient as he could. So he helped me with that. Help me with my approach and just everything. How much did you know about his career prior to getting drafted and being a Rocky? Before getting drafted, not a ton. I definitely did my homework afterwards, especially knowing that he was on the staff and he was going to come come see us. So I, at that point, I knew just about everything about him. <laughs> Pretty good career. Yeah. Hey, um, where do you envision yourself? You know, it's the old question like in business. Where do you envision yourself three to five years? What kind of player do you think you can be? Um, I envision myself as being one of the dudes in Colorado that you know that can be a, a center centerpiece bat in the middle of the lineup that's going to do damage and produce and and be a guy that they can rally behind and come and younger guys can come to for advice and and then hopefully be part of a, a World Series team. 
Michael, congratulations, man, on uh, on getting this level and uh, stay healthy, continued success, my man. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. I think when your team is struggling and you don't have a playoff caliber or championship caliber team, you want to look to different elements of your team and say, okay, they're part of the answer. And you also naturally gravitate to the young players that come up. And we've seen young players come up that have a chance to be really good. I still believe that when he gets here, even if it's not this year, Ezekiel Tovar has a chance to be a star, and he has a chance with his energy, with his defense, with what we've seen of him offensively, not only in the minor leagues but in spring training, to really get people's attention. And it, and it conjures up images of when you first saw you know, a Trevor Story come up or Troy Tulowitzki some years ago or and Nolan Arenado. I don't know if these guys will ultimately be at that level. I hope so. Um, where they're ranked – among prospects, it suggests they have a chance to be major, impactful players. So that's what gets you excited right now. That's that's what gives me a bounce in my step when I go to the ballpark and I know Michael Tolley is going to be in the middle of the lineup and to see him grow before your eyes. Because there's a lot of work to be done, right? We know that. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, Ryan Feltner continues to get incrementally better. Um, it's got to happen on the mound also, ultimately, for the Rockies, just like when you watch a Justin Lawrence work out of the bullpen, you go, okay, that that can be a really nice late-inning piece. But anyhow, it was good to get to know Michael Tolia a little bit better. Um, he knows he belongs. He acts like he belongs. He's a confident young man, and he's uh, and he's throwing out you know, some big-time at-bats already in his brief Major League career. So big thanks to Michael for jumping on. We'll do it again next week. As I said, uh, make sure you download Patrick Lyons and the DNVR Rockies uh, stuff. And um, enjoy the first week of the NFL season. We'll talk a little bit about the Bronx next week uh, as well. Um, Arizona's coming to town. Speaking of uh, teams that have young talent. That'll be an interesting series this weekend. The Rockies and the Diamondbacks who've really come on like gangbusters here in the second half. And they were a team that lost 110 games last year. So sometimes turnarounds can happen faster than you would believe. All right. We'll, uh, as I said, do it again next week. Stay safe, stay well, and have a great next seven days.